Hi, welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Posnanski, and with me, uh, Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. You know, I really wanted you to be on the other day um, instead of Jeff Garland. No offense to Jeff, uh, because uh, I the podcast was a it was a big moment for the podcast. We had our first sponsor. Oh, on the podcast. Yeah, very exciting. Uh, and I had to do like one of those 1950s style reads, you know, like like ad reads, sort of one of those, you know, are you feeling down in the dumps? You know, one of those things. Sure. And uh, and I really wanted you to be a part of that. I, I feel I feel that the, the podcast has taken this journey from complete irrelevance to just mostly irrelevant. And I, I just <laughs> wish you had been a part of that. But and what, was the, what was the product? The product was Mac Weldon, MacWeldon.com. They uh, they um, make men's basics, so mm. underwear. And uh, I'm wearing uh, Mac Weldon. I, I, you probably didn't want to know that, but I'm wearing their shorts. They they have very comfortable like lounging shorts. And uh, I think you still if this this is a free one because I think you still if you go to MacWeldon.com and type in podcast, uh, you get twenty percent off. I don't know if they've they've stopped that. I think that still exists. All right. Uh, so there you go. It's like a, we just gave them a free one because we're that we're, we're that kind of people. Um, so we're doing our uh, our podcast. We're going to have our faux argument in a minute, but but first, uh, of course, we're here at the All Star break, uh, and we have to do our Yankee minute. So uh, so I'll ask uh, our producer Tess to uh, to play the Yankee music. Which, by the way, have you heard it? Have you heard the music? I, I have not heard it yet. I I kind of think it might be too painful to listen to, so I haven't I haven't actually heard it. It's 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 good. It's it's kind of it's kind of bouncy, but yet really treacherous. You feel like you're like it could attack you at any moment. I I would imagine in my head it's just like a soundtrack from a horror movie. It's just like screeching and and screaming and and like the sound of knives being plunged into my heart. Yeah, no. Tess went more with the news. Kind of like we're breaking into your local programming to tell oh. you the world is coming to an end. It's more like gotcha. that. Gotcha. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Like a, a, it would, it's Morgan Freeman is making an announcement that an asteroid is headed towards Earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that's what's supposed to follow it. The Yankees are at the break. They are at this very moment. They're a 500 uh, ball club. That's right, uh, and and they should be winless. I mean, winless. That they, they're, they're forty-four and forty-four, and they by all rights should be zero and eighty-eight. Zero and eighty-eight. I mean, maybe like one or two wins in there somewhere. They're they're absolutely horrendous. And now, look, they're five hundred. I mean, they're you know they're not really in contention. I mean, they're kind of like behind four or five other teams for the wild card spot or whatever. But they're kind of in contention and. When you're 500 and you look at it, suddenly you win like five or six in a row, and now you're like not only in contention, you have the wild card spot. I mean, they're this is perilous in my view. Yeah, they're five and a half games out of the wild card. Um, they got to this point at the break by taking three out of four from Cleveland, Cleveland. A, a team playing 600 ball in first place who had been an absolute buzzsaw through the entire month of June and most of July. They took three out of four from Cleveland in like the worst possible way. <laughs> like every game was just a nightmare. And it really now apparently the, the latest story is that they are there's a debate internally 
amongst the ownership and the president of baseball operations about whether they're buyers or sellers, which right. is like, it's, it's like they're trying to torture us. It's like, they're, like, because if they were five games under 500, the, the thing would have been like, okay, we're sellers and we're going to sell, you know, Chapman's a free agent at the end of the year. They've got, they've got three closers. So they could flip two of those closers probably for half a dozen top flight prospects and instead, it's like, no, we might, maybe we're just one starting pitcher away. Maybe, maybe if we, and, and in one of the games, I think against Cleveland, Nathan Ivaldi, who has like a, you know, it's five and a half ERA, they finally moved him out of the rotation into the pen. And he came in and threw like four innings of one hit relief. And it's like, oh, now they have another great, they, now they have a long man out of their pen who's great. It really, it's like, it, it can't. I don't understand it. I know we say this every week. I do not understand how they're keeping the ship afloat, and yet they are, and they're only five and a half games out of a wild card spot. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when they took three or four from Cleveland, it, that's when it, to me, started getting scary because, you know, my view all along is that they've sort of been they, – they've been – they're no good, and they kind of know they're no good, but because of the Yankees and they because they have that, that you know, those three closers there and, and because Carlos Beltran decided to – to you know, visit the Fountain of Youth or whatever. Um, because of all those things, eh, they'll hover a few games under 500, 10 under maybe. They'll they'll end up you know going 70 and 92 or something, and and it'll be it'll be an overachievement honestly because they're terrible. Uh, yeah. But it'll be a, a, a harmless overachievement relatively speaking, enough for us to complain about, but nothing else. Now they're like, no, you know what? We we might just totally. <laughs> get in the wild card and then if they get in the wild card honestly they would scare me to death as a as an opponent sure in a short series with those three closers who could pitch every game that's how the royals did it you know that's how the royals you know kept beating teams that were probably better than especially two years ago and they just kept doing it because sixth inning they'd be up 2-1 and it's like game ends at 2-1 because there's nothing you can do they would scare me it has to end and and i don't I don't think they're going to sell. I think they're going to just torture us. And you're right. They'll end up getting some, you know, one of the guys who's on the market. Uh, I mean, obviously, Pomeranz just went to the Red Sox. But somebody will be on the on the market. They'll get – he'll end up having some sort of Rick Cl- Sutcliffe-like second half going 16-1. and one, And this team will haunt, just absolutely haunt us, haunt us, haunt us. Yeah, they'll get like Tehran from the Braves or something, right? Yeah. That's what'll happen. They'll, yeah. they'll get like a guy who they'll flip a bunch of overrated prospects <laughs> for like the best starting pitcher on the market who's like 24 and, <laughs> and is under team control somehow for eight more years. And like that, it, it is like they play a weekend series against the Red Sox this weekend. And in some ways, you know, it's mid July. Like in some ways this series will say a lot about whether they're buyers or sellers, right? Like if they fall apart and the Red Sox offense kicks it in the high gear and takes them out and sweeps them or takes whatever it is, two out of three, you know, they're, they're probably more likely to sell. But if they sweep the Red Sox and they're suddenly like two games behind the Red Sox for a wild card spot or something, like they're, they're going for it. And it's like, why wouldn't they? They're, they, have magically uh, charmed season that's that's you know they're winning with with 39 year old Carlos Beltran and like one home run every three games from Brian McCann and they're winning games it's really nuts it's 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 unacceptable it's absolutely it's unacceptable. unacceptable that's the word word is unacceptable that's right
<laughs> All right. Well, Yankee Minute, depressing again this week. Maybe next week it's, uh, you know, after the Red Sox do sweep them, they start selling. Hey, the Yankee, we get, a, we get a little bit jazzier music, I think, at that point. Oh, I like that. It's like on, on if you listen to Market Watch on NPR, like when Dow is up, they play like happy, jaunty, we're in the money music. And when it's down, they play sad trombone music. We should alter the music every week depending on what's happening. I really love this idea. You know, it reminds me actually of like the Brady Bunch, like that they play that one song, but it, like if, the, if things were, you know, going well, Greg had just, you know, won a football game or something, you know, they, they played that like da-da-da-da. You know, it was like really yeah. happy. And then if it was like very sad and Bobby – just got beat up at school or something. I don't know these plots, by the way. Um, you know, they just they just did it like that. Wah, wah, wah. Very, very slow. Sure. I want that. I um, Tess, as our producer, will. She's she's magical. She'll take care of that. So, all right. To our faux argument this week, uh, we are discussing at length because we actually have a little bit of time. We we did we did okay. You can probably set the timer for for fifteen to twenty minutes, I guess. Uh, we are going to discuss David Ortiz at length. Uh, and there are, I believe, three general David Ortiz topics that we're, we're talking about here. So we'll start with the first one, which is we're going to focus a little bit on the Hall of Fame and, and David Ortiz and where the designated hitter thing, how, how much that will affect his Hall of Fame candidacy. Because at this point, Everything else, other than the PED issue, which we will discuss also, other than that, it pretty much lines up. I mean, he's got the 500 homers. He's got all the postseason heroics. He's got all the all-star games, all of the things that in general have put somebody in the Hall of Fame. Um, But he is a designated hitter. So your thoughts on the designated hitter in the Hall of Fame and and will will that ever happen? Yeah, well, that's the big question, right? It's it's like you know punters in the football Hall of Fame, right? It's like you know people seem reluctant, and obviously the football Hall of Fame has this sort of silly, you know, only a very small number of people can make it every year, and there's extremely deserving candidates who just have to wait for no reason for six years before they get <laughs> in, and and I think because of that, there's and there's also like the I think there's kind of a dumb macho thing about the football hall of fame where like punters and kickers they aren't real football players and we're not going to let them in but in baseball like you know the 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 dh has been around for 40 years now and yet there's no dhs no people who mostly played dh in the hall of fame jim rice played a lot of dh paul Paul molitor i mean you're there's some people who did some yes right but there's no like you and i both when we went through our hall of fame argument uh, about who should get in, we both firmly believe that Edgar Martinez is a deserving candidate. And if you look at Edgar Martinez's offensive numbers, there's no reasonable argument to keep him out of the Hall of Fame based on what he did. He was one of the best right-handed hitters of his entire era, certainly, and and best hitters overall of his era. And yet, you know, not not close. Like, he wasn't really close. Um, And so, you know, Ortiz will be another, you know, it'll be five more years of of votes on Edgar and we should have some idea whether that will ever change but there's no DH is a position it's a, it's not they're not like they're not they're not like it's not a, like a loophole it's a position in major league baseball for 40 years now and the the question becomes like what who's who breaks that weird barrier who's the first predominantly DH player to make the Hall of Fame i think it'll be Edgar i think he'll get in i think he will in the next 5 years but 
But the real, the larger question is why are we punishing people for playing a legitimate position in the game? It's just that's the deal. There is that position. Well, so what the heck? Yeah. Well, I, there, there, there are a couple of different points I want to, you know, make to to sort of talk about this and open this up. First thing is you you mentioned punters and kickers in football, and and that's you know there there there's a real you know divide on on that whole thing. But those are unique positions in a way that DH is not, right? I mean, those are somebody who plays quarterback, receiver, uh, defensive line, linebacker, all of the positions that that generally uh, get a lot of Hall of Fame consideration. They don't do anything like punters. Punter is a completely different position. Designated hitter is basically, you know, three quarters to four fifths of what everybody does when you talk about the Hall of Fame. I mean, Henry Aaron is not in the Hall of Fame because he's a great outfielder. He's in the Hall of Fame because he's one of the greatest hitters of all time. Right. Uh, all of those guys. And, and it, Willie Mays is not in the Hall of Fame. It's, Willie Mays is, the you know, probably the greatest defensive center fielder ever. But he's not in the Hall of Fame because of that. He's in the Hall of Fame because he's that. But he also hit 660 home runs and was one of the great, you know, offensive players, uh, you know, both power and speed and everything else. Those those are bigger parts of his Hall of Fame candidacy than even his great defense. And then you obviously have a lot of guys like Harmon Killebrew and Ted Williams and and you know the list goes on. Jim Rice, you mentioned on and on, who were not very good defensive players or terrible ones, and it didn't matter because they were such good hitters. They're in the Hall of Fame, so. I, I wonder why we separate the designated hitter as much as we do. It feels to me like it's it's more of a it's it's like a personal affront that they don't play the field. You know, it's it's almost yeah. it's almost like the argument of why they have the DH. I mean, it's like it seems like we're still fighting that argument because Edgar Martinez, if Edgar Martinez had played third base and played it terribly. You know, terribly enough that they had to move him to first late in his career, and and then you know he 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 sprinkled in DH whenever they could afford to put him at DH. He'd be in the Hall of Fame. I I do believe that. So that's ridiculous, right? I mean, it's like that's that doesn't seem to me an argument. The second argument I, I, that I that I'm interested in hearing your opinion on is we already put relief pitchers in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you want to talk about a specialty position? Closers go into the Hall of Fame, and there are what a half dozen of them in the hall of fame right now. That's a, that's a true specialty position, even more than the designated hitter. Those guys pitch, you know, 60 to 80 to hundred innings a year. I mean, some of them pitched 120, you know, when you go back to, to fingers and Gossage and those guys, but Mariano Rivera, everybody knows he's going to go in pretty close to unanimously and deserves to. And I would, you better believe I'll vote for him, but that's, that's a 60 to 80 inning guy every year. And there's no question with him. So, so what is it about the designated hitter you think that that sort of puts that block in our minds? I think it's probably psychological, and it's probably because there are people voting who remember a time before the designated hitter. Yeah. There's people who are voting who don't think the designated hitter is a legitimate position, who don't think there should be a DH. That's uh, not true of relief pitchers, right? It's not true of, of like any other position at all. We're in this weird bridge time where there are still active older voting members who remember that golden era when men were men <laughs> and they played the field even if they were terrible 
and uh, no one pitched after they were 33 because their elbows fell off. And those were the real players. And these guys, this is a, everyone's gone soft and blah, 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 blah. I think my, that's, that's my only guess because you're right. You know, Bruce Suter and, and Goose Gossage and guys like that are every bit as sort of specialized as David Ortiz or as Edgar Martinez. Uh, and, the, and yet no one would think twice about saying like, well, we shouldn't. Well, actually, that's not true. Some people do think twice. Some people make the argument, legitimate argument, that if you only throw 80 innings a year, that you're not maybe not deserving to be, to be you know, called one of the best pitchers of your time, whatever. I disagree with that, too. I think that the, there are many positions in baseball and you should judge people based on how good they were at their position. But I, that's my only guess. I mean, do you have another theory? Do you even have any other theory about why that might be the case? I, I really think it's that because there's a DH in one league and not a DH in the other league. I mean, that's sort of my biggest viewpoint on it. I mean, you, and, and it really relates back. What was the guy's name that you interviewed for, for the old baseball player that, that you interviewed uh, to to tell us about what baseball was like in the old days? Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember his name now. Yeah, that guy, the, he, he had it right, you know. Uh, I think that that with, with relief pitchers, if if there was one league that did not allow relief pitchers, you know, maybe limited how many pitchers you were, were allowed to pitch every game. Said, okay, you can only you can never pitch more than two pitchers in a game. Okay, which is obviously not a great rule, but let's say that happened, and that was one league, and the other league said you could do as many as you want. I think pitchers who only threw sixty innings a year, eighty innings a year, would be viewed differently. Um, because people would remember that time when starters all finished their games and you, you know, you try to take, just try to take Bob Gibson out of a game, you know, just try, you know? And, and I think that, that because the national league does not have the designated hitter, it's not only that you remember those times, you sort of feel like, like those times are still here and that the American league is, is cheating somehow uh by by doing this and and it's it's interesting because i i like i say i don't really see what the difference is i mean as far as specialty positions um you know there there are specialty you know they're they're great defensive players you know great specialty defensive players uh bill mazeroski's in the hall of fame bill mazeroski was probably you know I, i think in kansas city you'd get the frank white argument and other places you'd get uh, the Robbie Alomar argument, but you could make the very powerful case that Bill Mazeroski was the greatest defensive second baseman ever. Uh, he had one big home run in the World Series that everybody remembers. Other than that, he was a very, very mediocre offensive player. He's in the Hall of Fame because right. he he did one thing extraordinarily well, and and I agree with that I, to a, to a large degree. I think the best defensive second baseman, the best defensive shortstop, who I think was Ozzy the best defensive center fielder, the best defensive catcher, all those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. So I guess I guess I think it's because not only do we remember the old days, but in in half the league, the old days are still with us on, on the DH front. Yeah, I think you're right. There you go. So there's there was a big argument there. <laughs> the second element of this thing is obviously the the PED argument. And and this is this is going to be very, very interesting because there are many people out there who believe that David Ortiz has gotten a pass on the PED thing. Uh, and I know this because every time I write about David Ortiz, I get dozens of responses from people um, saying exactly that. Why, why don't you, 
Why, why would you treat him any differently than all those other cheaters, you know, that, you know, he's, he's just as much a cheater as the rest of those guys. And they don't want to hear that, you know, the PED connection with Ortiz is kind of shaky, uh, that it was a, a leaked test from, from a test that was not supposed to be public, that he has denied it, that, that, that even the, the Major League Baseball itself has, has, has thrown real questions about that test, all of those things. Nobody wants to hear that. He tested positive, so he's a cheater. Uh, and so half these group, you know, I don't know if it's half, but a substantial portion of people believe he's getting a free pass, and the other, you know, percentage of people are going, well, it, it shouldn't be a factor at all. So that's going to be a very, very contentious part of this argument, I think. Yeah, it's a, his case is kind of the ultimate litmus test for the PED issue as it relates to the Hall of Fame to me because – his test, it was that time in 2003 when the, the, the PED thing was really blowing up. Right. And Major League Baseball said, listen, we're going to randomly test a bunch of guys. And if more than 5% of you test positive, then this new policy will click into place. They were all warned, right? They were all told, we're testing randomly. Your names won't be released. It'll be anonymous. But if more than 5% of you test positive, then this thing kicks in. Yeah. So yeah. They, were, <laughs> they, they knew it was happening. Right. And yet, way more than 5% of them tested positive. Now, you would imagine that if a bunch of people, as they obviously were, were using PEDs, they would have gotten together or individually said to themselves, hey, we should cool it <laughs> right now <laughs> in the lead up to this test because we know we're getting tested. And they still tested positive. So then six years later or something, the names leak out. Some of the names leak out, not all of them. Right. Some of them do. And... Everyone goes crazy, and then the players are like, "Well, what? What is this? What's? What do we test positive for?" And they're like, "We can't tell you. It's it's confidential." And they're like, "Yeah, but we, the names were supposed to be confidential, and they weren't. So at least you should tell us what we tested positive for." And they're like, "No. Instead, we're going to destroy the records, and you'll never see them again." So none of the people whose names were on that list even know what they tested positive for. And th so there's no. There was like it was a weird of all of the, you know, it was a very bad time in baseball and in sports in general for this kind of stuff. And it's, it, you know, in the intervening time, and Ortiz will, will say this repeatedly, he's been tested over and over and over and over and over again. Sure. He gave an interview where he pointed out that every time people come by for random tests, somehow he's one of the randomly tested people. They draw blood. They do all this stuff. He's, he's been found, you know, they came to the Dominican Republic a couple times and just found him in the offseason. He's been tested in his house. He's been tested in the clubhouse. And he's never tested positive for anything. He also says that at the time, like most baseball players, he kind of wasn't thinking too carefully about what was going on. He, everybody was sort of taking all these supplements. Teammates would say, hey, take this. This works really well. This give recovery, whatever. And it was very, like, fast and loose and no one really cared. So the chances that he did take some substance that was theoretically on some kind of list that would represent some substances that are banned or that baseball is one you take. It's pretty high, obviously. He sure. did test positive. But at the same time, it was from an era when it wasn't really against the rules necessarily. It sort of was, but there was no punishment in place. It was all very vague. Major League Baseball was kind of looking the other way. And since that test, he's obviously never tested positive again, as I don't think any of the other guys who were on that list have. So it was a big mess. Like, it was just a giant, awful, stupid mess. The league, it was real, as, as Alex Rodriguez would have put it, it was real Mickey Mouse stuff that was going on. So 
yes, he did. He has a positive PED test on his resume. It was a kind of different case, though, than a lot of other ones. It's not like D. Gordon's test, which was like long after the ban was in place and, you know, he just did a thing he wasn't supposed to do. So whether or not Ortiz gets into the Hall of Fame and how the PED issue specifically affects him, I think is kind of the ultimate litmus test, right? Because yeah. it's like if, if people if people hold that against him, then they're holding every single thing against every single person. Because realistically speaking, the DH issue aside, there's not a hugely strong argument to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. He has the numbers. He is an iconic player. He single-handedly won postseason <laughs> contests, like literally single-handedly, like in that series against the Tigers when the Tigers pitching staff was just completely shutting the Red Sox down. He hit that grand slam that just went right over Torrey Hunter's glove. And like, put, like you know, to say nothing of 2004, to say nothing of the World Series in 2013 against the Cardinals when he was the scary. It's, I've never seen an offensive performance like that. He was 11 for 16 with two homers. He was walked eight times. His OPS in the World Series was almost 2,000. He was so scary and dominant in that series that, like, you know, whatever the whatever your flavor is that you prefer in terms of a uh, an argument for the Hall of Fame, uh, you know, again, forgetting about the DH thing, there's no reasonable argument to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. He's got 525 home runs. He'll have 535 or 40 by the time the year is over and he retires. He's uh, he's a postseason hero. If he doesn't get in, it's largely going to be because there are people who just say, if you are anywhere near PEDs at any time, for any reason, no matter the circumstances, I am not voting for you. And that, I think, is, uh, is like a big problem because I'll, I'll shut up in a second and let you talk. But the third, the third leg of this discussion, which I'm sure you were going to get to, is what happens to the Hall of Fame if that is the case, right? Like what happens when it's 10 years from now and 15 to 25 guys that are considered to be among the very best baseball players who ever played the game just are nowhere to be found. And you go to that museum and you look around and you see nothing at all about Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and Rafael Palmiro and David Ortiz and Mark McGuire and all of these guys who are the, this is the entire era. This is 1990 to 2015. These guys are nowhere to be found what does that mean for the Hall of Fame, like at an existential level of like, this is its primary purpose for existing is to tell the story of baseball. And you're going to have an entire 25 year period that's essentially, if not like absent, at least dramatically unrepresented. Yeah, I think it's it's it's, it's it is the question. And I, and I think the Ortiz thing, one more point to make about the 2003 test is there is there is some evidence and suggestion that they got a lot more positives than they actually had tests. I mean, there was like a, there's like a weird, I, 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 you know, might not be getting it exactly right, but there is, there was a, there was a very, very clear issue with the testing. So the fact that his name leaked and the fact that it's out there based on the limited testing and the, the sort of, you know, the, the, the sense that it was supposed to be kept under wraps, the sense that nobody really knows what, what they were even testing for and, and exactly how the testing worked and all of that. It's really kind of a shame. I mean, it's, I guess we want to know, 
and I there were questions about David Ortiz because he did, uh, you know, just get released by the by the Twins, and then he he goes on and and obviously has a great year, and and you know I guess you want to to have a sense how that happened, and and people don't seem to believe anymore that can happen because he finally stayed healthy and he and he you know developed as a hitter and 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 he played on you know in in a great ballpark for him and all of those things that actually add up. People would rather have sort of the the quick oh he he took steroids he became a cheater that's how it happened right. um, so I think that's that's very tempting the the question of the Hall of Fame is one that I've really thought a lot about what happens to the Hall of Fame when none of these players get in and and every time I write about it of course I'll get you know a substantial number of people who will say don't care I'll never visit the Hall of Fame if those guys are in there or whatever of course they're probably never going to the Hall of Fame anyway. The thing about the Hall of Fame that that is not that many people visit it, you know, I mean, it really is a much, much larger symbol than it is, you know, a museum. I mean, obviously, that's how they they make their money. And I love it. And I go, you know, I try to go every couple of years, at least if I can, because I love the place. But realistically, it's not easy to get to. Uh, it's, it's, you have to basically build an entire, you know, vacation around it. You, you get there and, and what happens suddenly you go in there and you go, well, you know, this place is supposed to have the best baseball players of all time. And instead it has some mixture of best baseball players and people that we kind of feel like played the game right and people that we, well, they might not have played the game right, but we're not as bothered by what they did as what these other guys did. It's a, it's a mess. It's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to stand for anything anymore. I mean, it's, it's like if you want it to stand for like the most righteous, you know, church-like place, then you obviously have a lot of people in there that don't belong, and and it's you can say well being racist is not like taking steroids. Maybe not, but it ain't great. And it, and it's, it doesn't really speak well for what you're trying to represent. And, and so you have all of these people that took other kinds of PEDs, whether or not you believe they're as bad as steroids or not, they're in the hall of fame and we're fine with that. You have all of these people who, who happily cheated in various ways, whether it was throwing spitballs, uh, cutting, baseballs, whether it was uh, stealing signs, doing all these things that, again, not as bad as steroids, but still cheating. I mean, where where do you draw those lines? So I have a real, I think there is an existential question about what the Hall of Fame expects to be. I mean, what it really expects to be, especially as it becomes more and more clear that Bonds is not going to get in and Clemens is not going to get in. And when you start to realize that, and those are, you know, arguably the two two of the five greatest players in baseball history. And you and you're making that argument that they don't belong because of because of this steroid thing in a time where there was no testing and there was no there was no policing at all. Yeah, I think there is a real existential question. Would you want to go to the Hall of Fame if the best players are not in it? I don't know, and I and I don't think so, and I feel like what is going to happen is this is going to become the problem of the Veterans Committee, right? It's like the Veterans Committee exists to get guys into the Hall of Fame who they think were unfairly passed over. And, uh, and at some point, there is going to be a – the Veterans Committee is going to say, 
hey, uh, we have an incoming class this year of 40 guys. <laughs> and they're just going to sweep all of these guys in. And, you know, the, the, the larger point will be this museum is supposed to tell the story of baseball. Here's the thing I don't understand, by the way. If, if the museum is designed to tell the story of baseball, why don't you just have a whole exhibit about this, the PED crisis, right? It's like when you have presidential museums, there are like, you know, there's exhibits about not so great things that happened and they try to spin them in favor of the president. There's a very funny piece uh, about uh, this American life, I think, uh, my second NPR reference of the day, but there's a very funny NPR thing about the, the Nixon Museum, or the Reagan Museum, I'm sorry, the Reagan Museum, and how you can reenact the invasion of Grenada, and you can kind of make up your own mind whether or not you, we should have invaded Grenada, and, and, if, and if the answer is, if you, if you on your own come to the conclusion that we shouldn't have invaded Grenada, they kind of like nudge you over to the side of like, no, we should have. So, but the point is, is like, why not just have an exhibit? Why not have a permanent exhibit about, you know, the scandals of the game about the, I'm sure there's black Sox stuff there. Right. So like have a PED thing and then have the players get in and have them just, it's like a little reminder that, that like the game isn't perfect, that there have been these eras when in the 60s everybody was doing amphetamines and in the 80s everybody was doing cocaine and in the 90s and aughts everybody was doing steroids. Like, yeah, it's not perfect. These are human beings. They're competitive people. They, they try to cut corners and they try to cheat a little bit and we try to catch them and keep them safe, keep the game safe from these horrible crimes uh, or something. It just doesn't seem right to have a museum that doesn't allow some of the greatest players ever in. And, you know, we could talk forever about Shoeless Joe Jackson and, and like that hasn't been corrected and that's been a hundred years. So maybe this will never, maybe Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds and Ortiz and McGuire, maybe none of these guys are ever represented there. It just seems a little silly after a certain time to say, we're going to arbitrarily say that Ty Cobb being a racist monster and jumping into the stands to physically assault a, a limbless man, that's fine. But Ortiz might have taken something that was sort of banned, but we didn't tell him what it was, and he had no recourse to challenge it. And he was tested a thousand times after that and never tested positive again. And we won't, they won't even tell him what it was. That that guy, no, that's, that's a hard no. That's a hard no. But that's but that's an interesting part of it though because it, nobody cares about the details anymore of that. It's just a positive test. That's what it's become. It's just become a positive test. Roger Clemens never tested positive, ever. Right. At no point. Right. It's yeah. basically we're like, well, we know he did it because you know, this guy who was sort of a shady guy himself kind of told us he did, and maybe and he seemed to have done it. And he was kind of good when he was old. I mean, it's the this you could never convict Roger Clemens based on anything. You could never convict him. Of, of having used steroids. We just kind of know he did. We just kind of right. know it, you know? And and the longer we know it, the more certain it becomes and the more factual it becomes. And and it's, you know, it's one of those things that, and they will, by the way. They I, I don't know if they've already had an exhibit um, about uh, steroids uh, and, and drugs in baseball. Probably have had one at one point. They'll have that exhibit. That exhibit will exist. People who will make that argument, look, Barry Bonds, 
and Roger Clemens are in the Hall of Fame. They're, they're, some of their merch, they're, some of their stuff is in the Hall of Fame. Pete Rose is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, in a in a technical way, they're not in the in the hall though. They're not in the in the actual uh, you know room of plaques. Right. And so you know, there's a question of whether that matters. I think it matters. I think it matters because again, it's not a museum for most people. For most people, it's a it's sort of a, an honor. You know, you're in the Hall of Fame or you're not in the Hall of Fame. Most people who care about the Hall of Fame, and I mean most, like 90% who care about the Hall of Fame, will never visit Cooperstown. At, at, okay. and, and that number might even be higher than that. We'll never visit Cooperstown. But they know what the Hall of Fame is and they care about it and it means something to them. Um, and for those people, you know, they're they're some of them don't want these guys ever in and they they'll they'll think less of the hall of fame if it happens some of them think it's absurd that they're not in they were the greatest baseball players ever and that argument goes back and forth and i don't know that the hall of fame knows how to solve it i don't trust the veterans committee to to ever solve that problem they can't get anybody in the hall of fame anymore so uh you know so i i i think it's going to be a real issue by the way one one last point you made that about the presidential museum the truman library uh, in uh, in Independence, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City, I think has a permanent exhibit about whether or not uh, to drop the bomb on 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 Hiroshima, and and uh, it's like and there's like literally a button like yes, drop bomb, no, <laughs> don't drop bomb, and I remember you know and of course it has all. You know, right in front of you, before you press the button, it gives you all of the facts that Truman was facing, although most of the facts are kind of like, do you want millions of Americans to die? You know, do you do you want this war to last for another five years? Do you, you know, it's very it's very, you know, pushed toward, you know, you better hit the yes button, drop the bomb. And I do believe if you hit the no button, there is some. It's not it's not like, oh, wrong or anything like that, but it's there is something like. Okay, you're obviously willing to sacrifice American lives. I mean, it's basically a very, very like, yeah, that might not have been the right choice. <laughs> yeah, well, the the Hall of Fame should do the same thing. It should have a <laughs> button that says, "Should you let these guys in or not?" And and then, by the way, whether you push yes or no, there nothing happens. <laughs> it's like this is baseball. It's not actual problem. Not actual problem. We don't worry. The world's going to be exactly the same. Everything's fine. Uh. All right. Well, once again, uh, you and I huge disagreements, and yeah. uh, but we have solved the world's problems. So, <laughs> you know, it's good because this. I, I almost wanted to have this faux argument about uh, whether or not do you think the home field advantage uh, should be for the All Star game. You know, yeah. obviously we're past the All Star game now, which is why I kind of put it off. Uh, but I really wanted to have that that argument because who cares? I, I just thought that was. <laughs> People argue about that. Like, who cares? Who? And they used to. They used to do it every other year. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah, there's one. There's exactly one right answer to who should have home field advantage in the World Series, and it's the team that had the better right. regular season record. And as long as they don't do that, every other solution is just as stupid as as any other one. So, like, that it it is it is ridiculous that they do it this way and it's like a naked attempt to try to make the All-Star game feel relevant but i mean really shouldn't it just be the better team it's, it's I mean, it seems fairly easy to me especially because it's not like 
not like Super Bowl where you have to plan in advance and nobody knows who's going to be in the World Series before it starts. So it doesn't really matter. You know, you, you think, well, which which city are we going to start in? Well, well, why don't we find out when 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 the series ends and, and you can see who has, you know, who had the better record. Of course, then you'd have people argue that record in the National League is not equivalent to record in the American League or whatever. And who cares? I think the correct answer is who cares. Yeah, like like most things in sports, the correct answer is who cares. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, one more one more podcast down. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.